you've been with us the last several weeks, you know we've been taking a journey through the Gospel of John, looking at the signs of Jesus. As you know, as we've talked about, uh, John was the last Gospel written. Uh, Mark, uh, most scholars believe Mark wrote his Gospel first. Matthew and Luke used Mark's Gospel as a bit of a template. But John does a very different, uh, tells a very different version of the story of Jesus. Because, well, John knew what Matthew, Mark, and Luke already had to say, so he, like Paul Harvey, decides to tell the rest of the story. He talks about uh, many I am statements that Jesus makes that don't appear in the other Gospels. And he wants to make a point to tell us about different signs that Jesus did. Many of these signs do not appear in the other Gospels. Do you remember the first sign that Jesus does in the Gospel of John chapter 2? The first miracle that Jesus performs in the Gospel of John. Do you remember what that was? Water to wine. Good Presbyterians. You remember that one? Good. Yeah, water to wine. They don't talk about that across the street so much. But yeah, that's okay. That's what happened. Jesus turned water into wine. That very important miracle uh, points to this table, actually, that we're about to, to receive here in a moment. Yes, Jesus turns water into wine, and that's in John chapter 2. Then in John chapter 4, you'll remember the story of the royal official who comes to Jesus. And even though his son is 20 miles away, Jesus is able to, to heal this son's official from a distance of over 20 miles. That was an incredible miracle as well. And of course, then the third sign of Jesus uh, that we talked about was uh, from that we talked about uh, when Jesus heals the paralytic in John chapter 5 who's at the pool of Bethesda inside of the city of Jerusalem this man who was a paralytic and unable to walk and and Jesus is able to speak and the man walks it's truly a miracle of course he does this on the Sabbath and that gets him in trouble with the the Jews and then last Sunday we talked about the fourth sign of Jesus that we find in John chapter 6 when Jesus is able to feed over 5,000 people with just five barley loaves and to fish. You know, as we talked about last week, you know, Jesus, John and the other Gospels are very careful to say that there are only 5,000 men. And Matthew points out this does not include the women and children that were there. So most scholars, on a conservative estimate, say that probably there were closer to 15,000 people who were there when Jesus took a little boy's lunch, five barley loaves and two small fish, and he was able to multiply it to, well, to minister, to feed. So many, many more. And if you remember after Jesus does this, then will the crowd see what Jesus has done as they gather together 12 basketfuls of leftover food, uh, highlighting the fact that Jesus is more than enough for the 12 tribes of Israel. And they see this and they say, oh, well, let's, this is the great prophet that we've been waiting for, like Moses. And, and Jesus can tell in their hearts that they're ready to make him king. But most scholars point out that, well, Jesus doesn't follow their desire. He goes off to pray to be with his father. But most scholars point out that if Jesus wanted to come to Jerusalem and make himself king, that was the time when he should have done it. Because John points out that this feeding of the 5,000 was with the same week of Passover. And Passover was a, a celebration of reminding the people of Israel the time that God delivered them from the evil hand of Pharaoh, delivered them from slavery. Yes, Passover was a bit of a patriotic festival as they remembered how God had delivered them and made them free. And so uh, the scene was set. You know, he's got over 5,000 men there, 15,000 people probably all together. He's just fed them. They're calling him the great prophet that they want to make king. And if if Jesus wanted to become king of of Jerusalem, that would have been the time when he could have stirred up the crowd and said, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's take it by force. But Jesus didn't come to this earth to become the king of Jerusalem, did he? Jesus didn't come to this earth to simply speak prophetic words like Moses did. Jesus came to this earth to save us, to save us all. 
And so that we might see that Jesus has the power to save, John, in his gospel, writes about this fifth sign, this fifth miracle that Jesus performed. To see what that miracle, that sign is, please open your red pew Bibles to the gospel of John, chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. It may be found on page 1134, John, chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Well, Lord, we thank you that you are the God who speaks to us still today. That as we open your word, Lord, your voice is heard. You open our eyes and you give us hearts that might be softened to receive your word, that we might be transformed by your word. Oh God, I pray that in this moment as we gather together around your word, that you might speak to us again, that you might give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that would be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. John chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. Listen to the word of the Lord. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Now this miracle of walking on water, it appears in three of the gospels, Mark, Matthew, and John report it. Luke doesn't mention it. I guess Luke didn't think it was that big of a deal. Who knows why Luke didn't write about it. It reminds me of a story. There was a Presbyterian minister, a Methodist minister, and a Baptist minister who all three of them decided to go fishing together. Well, after setting sail into the middle of the lake, they'd been fishing for a while, and the Presbyterian realized that he needed to go to the restroom. And so he stood up, walked on the water to the shoreline where there was an outhouse where he might use the restroom. Then he walked back from the shoreline on the water and sat down in the boat. The Baptist minister could not believe this. This Presbyterian just walked on water. Well, just a few seconds later, then the Methodist minister said, Hey, I'm a little thirsty. I'm going to go back to the car where we've got the cooler. Do you guys want anything to drink? And, of course, the Baptist said, Well, no, I don't drink. And the Presbyterian said, Well, I'll have what you're having. And so (laughs) the Methodist got up, walked on the water to the car, opened up the trunk, got two cold beverages, walked back on the water, and sat down in the boat. The Baptist minister could not believe this. Both the Presbyterian and the Methodist had just walked on water like Jesus did. Well, the, Met- the Baptist minister did not want to be up down. He thought, for surely I'm as holy as these two guys, right? So in a moment, he said, well, I, I've got to go to the restroom too. But before he did, he stood up and he said a prayer that both his Presbyterian and Methodist minister could hear quite loudly. And he said, Lord, I pray that you might give me the power to walk on water as this Methodist and Presbyterian have done. Lord, please give me that power now. Amen. 
And before the Methodist or the Presbyterian could say a word, the Baptist took one step into the water and boom, sunk to the bottom of the sea. Well, as he's trying to swim his way up, the Presbyterian looked to the Methodist and said, maybe we should have told him where the stepping stones are. (laughs) Walking on water is not the kind of thing to see every day, is it? Yes, walking on water is not a normal occurrence. Now, Mark, when he tells this story, and he's the first one to write, his, first, his gospel was written first, uses eight verses to tell the story about Jesus walking on water after the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew tells the story as well, but he, he adds a lot more detail and description. In fact, he tells about how Peter was, uh, invites himself out into the water with Jesus, and Peter walks on the water for a little while until he notices the storm and the waves, and he becomes scared and begins to sink. Matthew takes 12 verses to tell his version of Jesus walking on the water. Now, usually when a gospel writer wants to retell a story, he's going to add a little more detail, give a little more facts. That's why he's telling the story again. But John, it's interesting, John only uses six verses to tell this very same story. He doesn't mention Peter at all. His story is actually shorter than Matthew or Mark's. So John wants us to, tell, John wants us to notice one specific detail in particular. So what is it that John wants us to see to make sure we don't miss in these six verses? To find out, let's look again at John chapter 6. Let's look at those three verses, those first three verses, 16 to 18. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Now, both Matthew and Mark tell us that after the feeding of 5,000, Jesus dismisses his disciples and says, go get in a boat and I'll meet you on the other side so that Jesus might have time to minister to the crowd at the very end. And then Jesus goes to the mountaintop to pray, as, as John describes. And while these disciples are out in the boat, it's, you know, it's nighttime, it's gotten dark, and well, a horrible storm comes, and, and unfortunately, the Sea of Galilee is infamous for, for having sudden storms. You see, the Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level, yet it's surrounded by several hills and even mountains that are 2,000 feet high. And so the cold air from the top of the mountains will blow down on the warm tropical air that's below sea level. And, and that mix of cold air and warm air often causes sudden storms that can be very difficult to navigate in a boat. It's these strong winds bring a horrible storm that's very hard for the disciples to navigate. Even though four of these disciples are fishermen, trained fishermen, Andrew, Simon, Peter, and James, and John, James, John, Andrew, and Peter, they, these were trained fishermen who should have known how to navigate, but they were having a very difficult time as they rode on their own, not making much progress, as the other Gospels tell us. They were stuck in the middle of a storm. Have you ever felt like you were stuck before? Like you were trying to to reach a destination, like you were trying to to get something accomplished, like you were trying to to move forward in your life, and yet you weren't making much progress? It was interesting, uh, uh, months ago we planned that Kim Talley was going to preach today, so uh, I learned Friday morning, though, that he was sick, so I had to put a sermon together in a couple of days, so pray for that. And... uh, Anyway, uh, I had to tell my wife because we had earmarked this weekend, Super Bowl weekend, as the weekend when we were finally going to declutter. 
I was going to clean the office and clean out the closets and clean out the garage. I made all these promises to my wife. I had a very lengthy honey-do list. But Friday morning, I got the text that says, oh, Kim can't preach. I'm up. I've got to do it. So I had to text Sweetie, hey, I'm not going to make much progress on the honey-do list today. Have you ever had plans and good intentions to do one thing, but you aren't able quite to get it done? Like you're stuck? Sometimes we can feel stuck in our businesses if we're not careful. We have followed all the leads, particularly if you're in sale. You've made the right phone calls. You've pitched the proposals, but none of the deals have come your way. They've fallen through, and your business isn't growing like you hoped it would. Have you ever felt like you were stuck? Like you weren't making progress like you hoped you would? We can feel stuck in our finances, can't we? Uh, we may have a little bit of debt that we're trying to pay off, and, and we seem like we're making progress. We're, we're looking forward to the day when we call Dave Ramsey and say, I'm debt-free! But that phone call is never able to be made because all of a sudden the hot water heater goes out, or you have that unexpected car repair, or you know, you've got to replace your heating and air conditioning unit at your house. Yes, it seems like you're going deeper and deeper in debt rather than getting where you want to be. Have you ever felt like you're stuck? Like you're not making much progress? We can feel stuck as parents or grandparents. We can tell our children or grandchildren what they should do and what they shouldn't do. We can tell them time and time and time again. And yet we find that they keep making the same mistake over and over and over again as if we're not making any progress in our parenting or our grandparenting. Have you ever felt like you were stuck? Like you weren't making much progress? You know, medically, we can feel like we're stuck. The dreaded diagnosis comes. You know, we... We do the treatments. It seems like our, our body is, is now cancer-free, and yet we have some blood work done. It, it appears that the numbers aren't what they should be, or another spot is found, and we're back to ground zero. Things have gone from bad to worse. Have you ever felt like you were stuck, like you're not making much progress? The disciples in our text, they were stuck. The disciples were sailing at night when you can't see very well. They were trying to make some headway in the midst of a horrible storm. They were now three and a half miles in, and, and the Sea of Galilee is seven miles wide. They were right in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and they're not making any progress on their own. They're rowing as hard as they can, yet they're not moving forward. And then Jesus shows up, and Jesus changes everything. Listen again to the text. When they rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. You know, it's always better to have Jesus in your boat than on the, sea, on the shore, right? Like, it's always better to have Jesus with you rather than far away. It's always better to have Jesus steering your boat rather than trying to row on your own. It's when Jesus shows up, everything changes. If we ever feel that life isn't moving, we're not progressing, that we're stuck in some kind of storm, we need to pray that God, that God would make his presence known because we know that Jesus is with us. He is Emmanuel. As Jesus, the risen Jesus, says at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, he will be with us always to the very end of the age, just when we feel we're stuck and not making progress, we've got to pray that Jesus would make his presence known, that he might take over and steer our ship and lead us to where we need to go. Notice, though, that in our text, 
The disciples have very little expectation that Jesus is going to show up in the middle of this storm. When they see Jesus walking on the water, they are filled with fear. The Greek word for fear here is phobeo. We get the English word phobia from fear, uh, from phobeo. Eugene Peterson in the message, he's Presbyterian, by the way, have I mentioned that before? Eugene Peterson in his message uh, translates this phrase, phobeo, as they were scared senseless. They were so scared to see Jesus walking on the water, they, they lost all sense of, of where they were and what was going on. They'd never seen anyone walk on water before, particularly in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They were three and a half miles away from the shore. This was a very long walk that Jesus made on the water. And they were still stuck in the middle of the storm. Yes, and then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. The last thing the disciples thought they would see, though, is Jesus walking on water. Of course, the good news for us is that Jesus exceeds our expectations. Jesus can do more than we could ever imagine. Even though God may allow us to go through storms in this life, remember that Jesus sends his disciples to sail across the sea knowing that a storm was coming. He was omniscient. This doesn't surprise Jesus that they're caught in the middle of a storm. But Jesus wants to show his disciples that I'm not going to abandon you in the storm. I'm going to be with you. Whatever it takes. He he even uh, causes uh, nature to suspend the laws of nature so that he might walk across the sea and get to his disciples so that he might know that he will always be with them, that he will never leave them. Yes, we can see from this story that Jesus will do whatever it takes to meet us in the midst of the storms of this life. Notice again how Jesus comforts the disciples in verse 20 of our text. He says, it is I, do not be afraid. Now in the original Greek uh, text here, it is I, the Greek is ego a me, which can also be translated as I am. If you read through the Gospel of John, you'll see that there are several I am statements that, that John relays to us, statements that Jesus made about who he is. The first one is actually in John 6, verse 35, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Then in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Then in John chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus says, I am the gate. In John 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In John 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And the most profound I am statement that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John, the statement that seems to get him in the most trouble with the Jews, is found in John chapter 8, verse 58, when Jesus explains to the Jews, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is the great I am. And so when the Jews in the first century are reading John's gospel in its original Greek, and they read Jesus say, I am, do not be afraid. It would not have been lost on them that, well, that Jesus is the great I am. Because as we saw in our text in Exodus that Shawnee read just a moment ago, when Moses asks God, whom shall I say has sent me? What is your name, O God? God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. 
is that we can see from Exodus chapter 3 that God's name is I am, ego, a me, I am, for God is and always will be. All that exists is because of God. God is the great I am. And Jesus is letting people know that he is the great I am in the flesh. And so when these first century Jews were reading John's gospel and, and they hear Jesus' word of comfort, I am, do not be afraid. They would have been reminded of the words of Exodus chapter 3. So literally, Jesus' verse 20 could be translated, I am, do not be afraid, but we don't talk like that. And so it's translated as, it is I, do not be afraid. But the New Revised Standard Version, which is the English translation of the Bible, does it have it as a footnote that it is I could also be translated as I am, do not be afraid. The main point that Jesus is, John is trying to make in retelling this story is that Jesus is the great I am. That even, even though you're in the midst of the, a storm and it doesn't seem as if you're making any progress, as if, as if you're trapped, not able to get to where you need to go, Jesus has a way of showing up. The great I am, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who came to save us all. And Jesus will do whatever it takes to get to us. Yes, Jesus will walk on water. He'll climb any hill, the hill of Golgotha, where he was crucified, to pay the price for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God once and for all. Yes, Jesus will travel the cosmos, for he was before the world existed. He is, as it says in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. The Word is with God and the Word was God. There's never been a time when Jesus did not exist. So Jesus, the Son of God, the one and only Son, traveled from heaven down to earth to be with us, to save us. Yes, Jesus will travel whatever distance it takes to be with us, to save us. Of course, the good news of the resurrection, the good news of Jesus that we find post-resurrection is that Jesus is always with us. As I mentioned a moment ago in the Gospel of Matthew, the very last words of Jesus is, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. As Paul reminds us in his letter to the Romans, nothing can separate us from love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Yes, through faith in Christ, the spirit of Christ is now in us. As Paul explains to the Colossians, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Yes, our bodies are now a temple of the Holy Spirit, so we have access to God. God is always with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. The problem is we're not always aware of his presence with us. When the storms come, we become anxious. When it feels like we're not making any progress, we just continue to try harder and harder, not realizing that we have well, the power of God to call upon, that we have Christ's very presence who can be with us, that if we'll spend time and be still and know that he is God and pray to him, well, then he will guide us and lead us. After all, if Jesus, the Son of God, fully God and fully man, had to spend time praying to his Heavenly Father in solitude and silence as we read about after feeding the 5,000, he goes off to pray. All three Gospels tell that. After doing that, if Jesus has to spend time in prayer, how much more time do we need to spend in prayer remembering God's presence with us, remembering that Jesus is always with us, that this Jesus has the power to calm any storm we may go through, for he is the one who has conquered the grave. For you see, on Friday, Jesus was crucified for our sins. He was buried and left for dead. But on Sunday, on that first Easter Sunday, Jesus rose again, proving to be who he said he was, the great I am, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And this Savior has promised us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He says he will be with us to the very end of the age. And so we do not have to fear as we go through these storms. We simply need to be still and pray that God would make his presence known to us and that he would guide us and lead us to the other side. For as we find in our text this morning, 
once the disciples let Jesus into their boat and they let him steer, immediately they arrive where they need to go. If we will daily surrender our lives to Christ by spending time in prayer, asking him to lead us and guide us, he will take us where we need to go, no matter what storm we may be going through today. Please join me as you pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the great I am. You've revealed yourself as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. You have come to this earth to save us all. We thank you, Lord, as we read this story, we can see that even though we may experience storms in this life, you do not abandon us. No, you you do the remarkable and will walk across water to get to your people, to comfort them, to lead them where they need to go. So God, we pray that knowing that you are Lord, we, we might submit our lives to you each and every day, that as Jesus did, we would take time to be still, to know that you're God, to pray that you might make your presence known to us, that you might make your will known to us, so that you might help us navigate the storms of this life, so that we might get to the other side, that we might arrive where you want us to be. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.